Well, good morning. Welcome into MCC. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Trent. I have the awesome, amazing privilege of being the lead pastor here at MCC. For those of you who are joining us online, welcome in. We are so thankful you take some time out of your weekend of all the things you could be doing online. You happen to be here. So we have turned the corner, guys. We are officially, officially all the way up in December. And uh, while you may be longing, just longing for a sweet little baby Jesus sermon today, um, that is not what you're getting. Uh, today we are still in the armor of God. Today we are going uh, not to necessarily baby Jesus, but Jesus who is, uh, is weaponized. And so we are still talking about this armor of God. But before we get in there, I do want to let you know what's going to be happening uh, for us as a church at Christmas. Uh, we are going to be next week starting a series called Great Joy. Everybody say Great Joy. We could use some great joy, man. It has been a, in a year that has been, uh, joy has been uh, hard to come by. It's been hard to find, but this holiday season is defined by joy. And so we're going to be diving into that. And for our Christmas Eve services, we're going to be having three Christmas Eve services. Two will be in person and one will be online, okay? So Christmas Eve, we'll have a five o'clock, seven o'clock, and then the seven o'clock will be where you can be online. So if you're not going to be in town, we still invite you guys. Like if you can't be here in person, uh, join in online, man, get your family together, do something uh, that Christmas Eve night to still be a part of it. For everybody who's watching online, I want you to know that we have planned our Christmas Eve service with you in mind. You're going to be able to get equipped with everything you need to still be able to participate from candlelight service to scripture, all those things. We're still going to be able to do everything we can to be able to help you be connected. Christmas Eve uh, is a great time to be able to bring people in and connect with you, whether that's joining online or joining together. Now, we're going to be doing something new for the Sunday after Christmas, okay? So for those of you who are wondering, Christmas Eve is, is on the 24th this year, and then it's going to be the next day. The next day, I know some of us, we have trouble with calendars. Um, the next day is going to be Christmas, 25th, and then there's the 26th, and then the 27th is going to happen. Now, the 27th is a Sunday, okay? What we have chosen to do this year is to not have an in-person gathering on Sunday, December 27th, but we are moving that to an all-online, at-home church experience. And so everybody, whether or not you're online, you've always been online and you haven't came back in person, or if you're here and you want to come in person, you show up here on Sunday, December 27th, it's going to be you, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay? Because we're going to be at home engaging with God's Word together uh, there at, at 10 o'clock. We're going to air that live. Now, here's the cool part. I'm really excited about this. Our team is as well. We are currently putting together a, a Christmas box that's going to be your uh, tool to be able to experience that service both on the 24th, if you're watching it online, and on the 27th for everybody who's watching online to be able to truly experience what an awesome uh, talk and teaching that we're going to dive into that day. We're going to have some worship, and then we're going to walk through some things where you can have hands-on things. And our hope is that it will be a very family-friendly time for you to be able to just gather your family around, just still be in your jammies, just finished stuffing your face full of cinnamon rolls, and then you dive into God's Word, and you continue to spend time with your family. We're going to do two drive throughs for you guys to be able to pick up these boxes. So if you're the type of person who's like, hey, I'm still not comfortable coming and being part of a church in person, that's fine. We want to let you have everything you need. So we have two drive throughs for that for you to pick those up. That's on December 16th and 17th. And then for those of you who may be people who are already cool with coming in person, on December 20th, you'll be able to pick up your box there. All right? Sound good? We, again, we're going to, I, mean, I want to get this out there. We're going to continue to communicate all that stuff to you. This isn't going to be the last thing. Just stay in the loop. All right? Let me talk to you about money real quick before you grab your purse and before you tune out in a good way. 
Let me just celebrate again the amazing generosity that exists at this church. Uh, this past weekend, I think we have a couple pictures to show you. Uh, yesterday, we had um, dozens and dozens of families come through and take part in our Kindness Works drive through What this is is, you know, normally we do a really big Christmas party for special needs families here in our community. And I wanted to celebrate from the financial side of things. You guys gave over $2,500 worth of gift cards to be able to bless these families. So well done, MCC. You're an amazingly generous church, and uh, I want to continue to encourage you to, to partner with us in that generosity because when we do this, lives are changed, uh, kingdom in- impact happens. So if you want to give online, you can go online and do that. Links are there. If you're watching online, if you want to give in person, there's black boxes in the back. Let's pray and dive into God's word. Jesus, you have brought us here for a reason, for a purpose. Speak to us now as we open your word. In your name, amen. All right, so i got to be honest with you guys. Today's kind of a sad day. I have thoroughly enjoyed talking about this spiritual battle with you guys, and I hope you have uh, gotten something out of it. Hopefully you are standing now more battle-ready than you have ever been in your life. Now today, what I want to do is, because this is going to be our last day digging into this, I want us all to, one more time, stand together and read this passage that we've been walking through in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. So if you've got a Bible, great. If you don't got a Bible, Sky Bible is your friend today. Our Bible on TV underneath me right in here is going to be your friend today. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 10, go all the way to verse 17. Let's read it loud and proud. One, two, three, go. Finally... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God." Sounded great, church. Love doing that with you. Can we just celebrate the truth that's in God's word? Amen. You guys can have a seat where you're at. Today, we're in our last piece of the armor. Today, we are talking about the sword of the Spirit. Now, I want to walk you through some of the historical significance of the sword, and then we'll dive into the spiritual significance. So, as Paul is writing this, remember, he is in a prison in Rome, and he's writing to a church in Ephesus. So he, he is in house arrest and he is pinning this as he is seeing day by day the changing of the guard, these Roman centurion soldiers. And he's looking at his armor from head to toe. And he, as he sees this physical armor, he makes a spiritual connection to the armor that we should have as believers. And we've walked through head to toe so far all of those pieces. And today we're going to dive into a primarily offensive weapon, one that is critical importance. And so my hope is that you lean in, you take notes, you dive into what we're going to talk about today because I believe it has the potential to take you from a place of living in defeat to actually living from a spiritual perspective in victory. So this Roman sword was this thing called a makira. 
and it was not your big like Braveheart movie sword where guys would grab it two hands and just start slinging it into a swath of people just trying to take out arms and legs. This was a sword that was primarily used for precision. It was used for close quarter combat. When an enemy was up in your face, this was used to hit at a certain point that could be a fatal spot. This sword that I'm holding actually uh, was from the Spanish-American War era, and it is um, truly a relic. So like, if I hit you with this, it would still do some damage. Um, if the blow didn't kill you, tetanus would for sure, because this was like excavated out of the ground over 100 years ago. And our, our local war historian, Bill Dodd, handed this to me. Beautiful piece of weaponry. Uh, amazing to be able to hold and have. Um, he didn't give it to me, but I'm just hanging out with it. Uh, it it's been cool to just have in my office. And be able to think about what Paul was talking about as he showed this weaponry and made the spiritual connection. And I believe the reason that he chose when he was defining this sword that we should have from a spiritual perspective, he chose the type of sword that was known throughout the region as a close quarters weapon. One that you would use when an enemy was in your face. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been multiple times in my life where the enemy was not just shooting flaming darts at my life that he hoped to hit, where he was way off and he was just kind of doing bad things to me. But I have had some moments in my life where there was an up close and personal attack from the enemy. I don't know, maybe is there anybody out there who's willing to say like, he's been up in my business before. He's been close. He's been personal. He has calculated and I can tell that what he was doing was something that was directly against me whether it was a sin that I've continued to struggle with, and at the right perfect moment, he continued to put that temptation in face. Whether it was a boss at my work that looked just like my father, who I still have an open wound from. See, there are many, many times where Satan drops his bow, says, I'm not going to shoot a flaming dart at them, gets off of his horse, and gets into our house, our workplace, our car, and he gets in close quarters to strategically come after you. And this is why we need a weapon. This for when he gets close. And this is what the word of God is for us. Now to understand the word that he talks about here. When he says, this is the sword of the Spirit. Now, first of all, you've got to understand, I'm going to throw Ephesians 6, 17, the verse where this is derived from. He says, this is the sword of the Spirit. Now, remember, if you're not from church and this is kind of news to you, our God in the Christian faith exists in three persons, equal importance. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are told that this sword is the sword of the Spirit. We believe that our, our Bible, our governing text, what, what, what we have here that we call the Word of God was inspired by this Holy Spirit through regular men like me and you to be able to write these words down. So it wasn't just them writing, but the Holy Spirit through them wrote these words. And this is what we've passed down for generation to generation. And we don't look at them as Paul or Mark or, or John's words. We look at them as the Word of God written by the power of the Holy Spirit through those men and given to us. And so this is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, if we're going to understand how to wield this sword and fight against this enemy, we've got to understand how the Bible talks about the word, word. So if you're taking notes, there are actually three different ways that the word, word, I know I sound like Dr. Seuss, the word, word is translated in the Bible. 
There's three different Greek words. If you're taking notes, the first way that the word word is translated is graphe. Graphe. Now, graphe is, is just the written word. Like, this is the pen on the paper. This is the graphe. This is the fact that it is written down. It is contained. It's a word written. It's a word contained. For those of you who have Bible apps, it's, it's the digital code. That, that, that's the graphe if you're looking at the Bible on your phone. It's the word written. It's the word typed. It's the word input to whatever computer. The next way that it talks about the word, and you may have heard this one before, is logos. And the logos is not the graphe written word, but it is the content, the concepts, and the message that is contained in the graphe. So it's one thing to have one of these, but then to open up and see what the content is, is beginning to understand the logos, like what is the content, what is the message, what is the principles that is contained in this graphe piece of work. And from there, there's one more word that the word word is translated in the Bible, and that's the word rima. Say the word rima with me. Rima, rima. You almost got to roll that R and just, again, sound exotic. Rima. Now, rima is a little different. See, where the, the, the graphe is, is having it and, and being able to see this is, this is the written word that I have and, and the logos is the content of it. The rima is taking the word, taking the graphe that is having it, taking the logos that is knowing it, and rima is taking it and then speaking it. Saying the word out is taking the logic and the understanding and the concepts that are there in the logos word and allowing them to be something that actually comes out in a spoken word. It really means utterance, rima. Now, I want you to go back to Ephesians 6, 17 and see strategically, albeit, what word Paul chooses when he's writing this down in the Greek to be able to be what is this sword of the Spirit when he defines it as the word of God. Look at Ephesians 6, 17. He said, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of Rima, the word of God. So what he's saying here is you will have the graphe. He's writing to these churches and he's giving them this letter. And this letter eventually at, the, at that point in time, they may have not known it was going to happen, but that was the word of God. It was coming through Paul to them. He's saying, you have the graphe. You take it, you know it, you understand it. And when that happens, that's, that's this logos thing happening. That's the word of God getting into your heart. But even here, what Paul is trying to make a point to us and a point to the people in Ephesus is that this is still not a place where you are battle ready. Having this in here and thinking by osmosis, I'm just going to be able to know all these things and do all these things and I'm going to be battle ready because I know a lot about the Bible does not prepare you to face an active enemy. He says, I need you to go from having it. I need you to go from knowing it. I need you to take up a sword and wield it. And Rima, taking this word and allowing what's inside of us to come out, it comes out and it fights against the enemy who is coming against us. So practically and tactically speaking, how can we remember this and know this and understand what's going on? The graphe, that's to have the word. The logos, that's to know the word. The Rima, that's to speak the word. And this spoken word is where Paul is saying this is where we use God's word. This is a weapon. So if it was a modern soldier, it's one thing for a soldier to have a weapon. Like you're going to be much more effective if you are a soldier who has a weapon. 
But the military doesn't just stop there. They make sure that soldier knows his weapon, knows how to operate it, knows how to load it, knows how to clean it, knows how to unload it, knows how to fire it, knows it. But then there's the Rima. There's I know how to use this. I know how to shoot this. I know how to fire this. And if we If we're going to be battle-ready believers, we have to understand how all three of these work in the place because you cannot shoot and you cannot wield a sword that you don't know and that you don't have. So you've got to have it, you've got to know it, and then you can actually use it. So I want to dive in first with you guys into this logos aspect of the word word because if you don't understand how the logos first works on you, you won't understand how to wield the Rima word against your enemy. So I want to show you this Bible verse. It's in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. If you've got a Bible, please go there. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Love the sound of pages turning. Hopefully that's happening at homes as well, or you're watching it online. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The writer of Hebrews says this. For the word, now again, He translates it there, logos. For the logos of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. Okay, we're we're tying all this stuff together. Again, this is a different book. This is not, uh, you know, what Paul is writing here in Ephesians. is a whole different place, but this sticking with the common thread of the Bible. Again, the best thing to interpret the Bible is the Bible. For the word of God, the logos of God is alive and active. That means that this book, when we open it up and you stood a second ago and you read it out, that living things were happening. We weren't just talking and, and, and reading ink on pages and, and, and type on screen. We, living stuff was happening in those moments. It's living and active. He says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Then he says, and this is, this is where it gets interesting, this word, this logos of God, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, if you were here with us last week, those two words, soul and spirit, should hopefully trigger something in you. Because as we talked about salvation, we explained that for us as individuals, and for us, especially when we put our faith and our trust in Christ, that salvation happens in the trichotomy of our being. Now, let me unpack that for, I mean, I'm sounding way smarter than I am right now. You exist in, in three characteristics. You, according to God's word, you are a spirit, which means there is an e- again, you are created in the image and likeness of God, which means there is an e- eternal part of you. There is a part of you that will spend eternity in heaven with God your Father, where you were created to be, or eternally separated away from Him. There is something about you that will never die, and that thing is called your spirit. Then, there's this thing about you that is your soul. Now, your soul, oftentimes, and for the rest of this message, we're going to refer to as your mind. This is that internal part of you not eternal, internal part of you that we related to as your operating system. This is what makes you think what you think and do what you do. At the point of salvation, our eternal part of us, our spirit, it is reborn. There's no such, you can be a Catholic, you can be a Protestant, you can be a, a you know, Calvinistic, you can be Christian, you can be whatever denomination you want to be. None of that matters unless you're reborn. That's the way we become Christians. We are, we are born again. There's only one type of Christian, and that's a born-again Christian. And that part that is born again is our eternal spirit. But what we talked about last week is none of us, at the point of having that 
spirit be born again had minds that were just born again. Because we got saved, we came out of baptism, we got home from that camp, and we still thought the same things we thought. We still got angry about the things we got angry about. We still had bitterness against the same people who had done things wrong to us. We still said a cuss word from time to time. Our minds don't just boom and are reborn. Our minds have to be renewed. And so when Paul is writing here, or whoever is writing in Hebrews, he says that the word of God is sharp like a double-edged sword, and it cuts through and separates spirit and soul, what he's trying to get us to understand is that your soul and your spirit, there needs to be a separation. Why does there need to be a separation? Because your spirit is wanting to go this way, but your mind is wanting to go this way. See, your, your soul, your spirit has been reborn. It's been restored by God. But there is still this part of you in your mind, your operating system, what we talked about last week as your soul. Your soul is still jacked up and messed up and wants to do wrong things. And so the word of God comes in as the Logos, first and foremost, before we start wielding it as Rima, the Word of God comes into us and begins to slice away every part of our fleshly, carnal, sinful way of thinking and operating. And that's God's Word, meeting us at the places where we went, I used to think this was the right way to do. And then we encounter something in God's Word that says, that's actually not the way it should be done. That's God's Word slicing and dicing our lives and cutting away every aspect of us, who we were pre-Jesus, until when we look at ourselves and the other people look at us, what they see is not some better version of you. Jesus, I've said this before, Jesus did not go to the cross. He did not uh, take uh, 40 lashes minus one. He did not wear a crown of thorns and be strung up from the east to the west so that he could make a better version of you for the world. He came so that your life would be exchanged for his life. So that at your workplace, in your car, on your athletic team, in your classroom, at your family gatherings this holiday, it wouldn't be you walking through those halls and doing those things in those spaces and places. It would be him. And the thing that changes us into him is his word. That's what does that in us. That's it separating from the spirit that has been completely reborn, destined for heaven. And the soul that's still messed up his word is what begins to transform that so when the people see us and look at us that's what they see now that as he is strategically taking the logos of the word and trimming away every little bit and piece of you that's what is when cut away begins to make you more of a lean mean fighting machine so that you can actually now that you have been cut and transformed by the logos word now you can actually wield the weapon that is the rima word as it goes out of you because again look at that passage right there he says, joint and marrow. He says, thoughts and, what else does he say? He says, thoughts and attitudes and soul and spirit. Everything in that verse is internal. That's where his word starts. That's where his word goes to work. And that's where his word begins to change things in us so that when people see us on the outside, they see something totally different. And so, if we want to get to the place where we can actually wield the word of God as a weapon against the enemy, we have to let it cut against everything in us that wants to make peace with that enemy. That's what Jesus did. The best uh, place that I could show you this is when Jesus is tempted, he's led out into the wilderness. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he is fasting in the wilderness. And the understatement of ever in the Bible says that he was hungry. Yeah, yeah, he was very hungry. 
And Satan meets him in the point of his pain, which he loves to do that, by the way. The moment he sees you weak, the moment he sees your anxiety go up, the moment he sees you frustrated, the moment he sees you... I mean, how many people have gotten an argument with their spouse? And it was just because one of you was really hungry. That happened before? Okay, yes. Thank you for being honest. He meets him at the point of his pain, and he begins to tempt him. And what Jesus, Jesus uses to combat him is the rema spoken word of God. Now, Jesus, again, according to John 1, 1, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the logos. He is the word. But he still used the rema word of God to combat Satan. Now, again, sometimes we over-spiritualize that text and we say, well, if Jesus had to study and memorize God's word, you should study and memorize God's word. But I don't really think that's the point of that passage. You do understand that anything Jesus said at that moment in that story was what? It was scripture. Because everything Jesus said became what? Scripture. Okay? So Jesus could have said whatever he wanted to say, and it would have been him quoting scripture. But he chose to go back and take a passage out of Deuteronomy. And I believe he was doing that to show us how we should fight. That's how we learn how to do this. We learn from our commander. We learn from Jesus how to go and combat this enemy. Now the problem is, we're not the best at truly being devoted to what God's word says. Many of us have a hard time really knowing truly what the Bible says about certain things. And in a day and age like this, the one that we're in, where there is opinions everywhere, and, I, and just me, I think they're coming harder, faster, and louder than maybe they ever have before at us as God's people. Now, more than ever, we have to get in God's word and take the truth that's found in here to go, okay, how do I think about this? How do I think about what's going on as far as our government? How do I think about what's going on in our economy? How do I think about what's happening in our church? How do I think about to wear a mask or not to wear a mask? How do I think about and, and judge? And what do I do with these things and not base them off of what we see happening all around us, but base them off of what we primarily, first and foremost, see in God's word? That's where we start. That's where we start. And that's what we base everything else that we see off of. There's a story the creation story, Adam and Eve. I want to point out something really specific to you here. When Satan, you know the story, even if you didn't grow up going to church, Adam and Eve are in the garden, perfect, perfect moment with God. God walks with them in the cool of the day. I mean, they, they're, they're naked and don't even know it. I mean, it's just amazing. And Satan slithers up and he begins to tempt Eve. Now, I want you to understand where he tempts Eve. What he comes against, he doesn't go, hey Eve, did God do this or not do this? He doesn't go, hey Eve, how do you feel about this and not this? The thing that he comes against, where he tries to attack in that moment, his question is, did God really say? See, Satan's Number one place where he wants to come against and blow up are the things that God says because what Satan knows is that there is power in God's word. In a word, God threw Satan out of heaven. In a word, it, the Bible talks about in the creation account that the spirit was hovering over the depths. And God, in a word, God could have done a bunch of different things to make creation happen. Like he could have just earth. Like I don't know what, he could have done all sorts of different things just like water, trees, I don't know. He could have done all sorts of motions to be able to ha make this happen. Like the bewitched, like like, he didn't do any of that. When God created things, how did he create them into existence? He spoke them into existence. And so Satan wants to come against God's word. Now, Adam and Eve, at that point in time, their Bible was about two verses. And they still messed it up. 
Because Satan from the very beginning has been a liar and an accuser. And he gets us to doubt and be confused on what God's word says. And we see the flip side from the original son and Adam to the true son and Jesus of how we should actually handle when Satan tries to come against us with God's word. We see Jesus do it the right way, and he uses God's word as that combative, as that rima to come against him. And every one of the temptations, Jesus meets it with the rima, the spoke-out word of God. And for us, I think sometimes we disregard how much we truly need the word of God straight from the source in our lives. Because that's where the power lies. If Satan's going to attack that, that part of God's word and get us to doubt and be confused about God, what God's word is, then we've got to know that that is our most powerful weapon against him. So what he is not scared of you saying when he tempts you is, well, I don't think that's right. Well, my opinion is this. Or my pastor said this. He's fine with us going to Christian books. He's fine with us listening to Christian podcasts. He's fine with you coming in and seeing my sermons. But what terrifies him, what freaks him out, and what is the true only thing that makes him lose is when we say, the word of God says. But it is written. And Jesus, three times, it is written, it is written, it is written. So when Satan comes against you, when he is up in your face, your opinions, your thoughts, what I said last Sunday is not going to do you a lick of good. It is at best you trying to go after him with a butter knife. You have to have the actual word of God to come against him. To say, it is written, and there you go, and you quote this. I want to show you an illustration. Maybe I hope this make a little bit more sense. Um, Nick, Nick Jr., can you help me out, man? Sorry, I should have asked you before. I put you around the spot. You kind of can't say no. And Nick's kind of on staff here, so I guess I'm technically your boss. So, Nick, come on up here. Um, Nick, you can stand right there. Okay. Now, um, these have not been opened. Neither of these, okay? Um, are, you, are you thirsty? I'm not going to give you this yet. Okay, so you heard me break the seal. The seal broke, okay? Do you want that now? No. <laughs> why not? Like, why, what's wrong? I mean, like, what's the deal? Backwash. Backwash. Yes, I backwashed into that. Now, um, okay, I know. What, I know. Okay, that's probably not the right one to have. Here, I, got, I know what will help. I know it will help. I just need. I just this, right? That's what. As long as, yeah. So, mouthwash for those of you watching online. Mmm. Mm, mm, mm. All right, now, okay, that one was sealed too. Now you'll want it, won't you? Still no, huh? Mm. Okay, now, okay, so you don't want this. Well, let me pitch you a scenario, okay? So you don't want it right now. You definitely want to like take it home, put it in your backpack, take it to school with you, none of that. Okay, making sense. Mm, my mouth is on fire. <laughs> let me ask you this, okay, Pitch you a scenario. Say you're uh, hiking in the Grand Canyon, 
All right, it's your first time doing hiking in Grand Canyon, especially down the valley floor. It can get, get really hot, really cold. And so you're there when it's really hot. And, and for some reason, you forget to, to pack enough water. You've gone through your supply of water. You get lost in the Grand Canyon. It gets up to like 105 degrees, and you're out there in the Grand Canyon. And um, the only thing you have is this thing of water that I put in your backpack because I care for you. And um, you have no other water supply, and you are on the verge of dying of thirst. Would you drink this then? Okay, you would drink this then, right? That makes sense. Okay, you can have a seat. That's what I wanted to figure out. Okay. All right. Let me get all my props away. Um, I'll leave that for a second. I'm not sponsored by Crest or Kroger Water, if anybody's wondering. Let me explain this to you. I love, I love, I love, and is what God has called me to do, to preach God's word and give it to you. It is a calling that I believe he's put on my life, and I absolutely love doing it. But it makes no sense at all, and you will be not effective at all against an active enemy who is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy you every single day of your life, not just on Sundays. If the only time that you get the word from God is in here, that's the only time you open a Bible, that's the only time you see it on the screen, it's in here. It is the equivalent of you taking this and saying, this is what I'm going to live off of this week. Every meal, before I go to bed, when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to live off this. Now, again, would this keep you from dying if you're starving? I mean, if you're, you're dying of thirst? Yeah, it'll keep you from dying. But here's the deal. You know inside of this, there are still traces of Trent. As pure, even the one that I took, I think this is the one that I took and I did mouthwash. I did my best to make sure it was as pure and as germ-free as possible. But do you know what's still in here? Me. My best attempts to give you God's word on a Sunday is still coming from me. And to the point that I'm trying to make is, don't, is not don't come to church anymore. Don't listen to Trent's sermons. That would be stupid. That's not the point I'm trying to make. The point that I'm trying to make is, why would you... If you have the living, active source available to you at all times, whether it's in your pocket, in your car, right here in this word, why would you choose? How stupid would it be to choose to live off of this week in, week out when you are facing a real-life enemy Monday through Sunday? You guys, we can't, we can't live off of this. We can't live off of what Joel Osteen says about the word. We can't live off of what Beth Moore says about the word, Christine Kane, or that podcast that we listen to says about the word. You have to stop drinking from other people's cup and go to the fountain that is available to you. You got a fountain. You got one. Got to go to the fountain because that's where you learn how God's word specifically applies to you, because we talked about this week one of this series. The way Satan's going to come after me as a 32-year-old white male is different than the way he's going to come after you. Even if you are a 32-year-old white male, it's still going to be different. It's going to be different. And so you've got to know your specific weak points, how he's going to come after you, and how that matches up with the weapon, the only weapon that you have that can fight against that. Because again, what I said about Scripture what your mom and daddy said about Scripture, what a guy you heard on the radio say about Scripture is not going to do you any good. The only thing that will really do you good in that moment to fight against him is the Scripture that you have taken into your head, heart, and mind to be able to make war and wield it as the rema against him. And so if that's going to happen, we've got to be devoted to it. 
Those things don't happen by accident. They don't just happen by happenstance. We have got to be devoted. And we talk about that word a lot in church. We talk about, you know, sometimes I remember when I was first starting out, I didn't start going to church until I was like eighth grade. And um, I remember somebody said something like, in my Devo this week, and I was like, my Devo this week? Like, what is Devo? Like, what is that? Um, and maybe you've been around, you, you've been around church long enough, you hear all this Christianese, and like, my, de- my devotion time, and I'm like, what is that? Devotion or Devo time is, is something that Christians talk about is like their time being with God and being in His Word. Oftentimes, that's, that's the time where they read and pray. And I think all of us, we would raise our hand and go, I want to have an amazing, amazing devotional life. I want to live a life devoted to God. I want to have an amazing devotional times with God. The problem is, as, is having a great devotional life, it actually doesn't start with devotion. It starts somewhere else. As much as you would want to have a great devotional life with God, great devo times, it doesn't start with devotion. Let me show you where it starts. If you've got a Bible, go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. This is where a great devotional life starts. This is where getting into God's word so much so that that logos cuts away parts of you and you're able to actually make war against an enemy. This is where devotion starts. Hebrews 12, 11. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Merry Christmas. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, I love later on in the Bible. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, devotion doesn't start out as devotion. Devotion starts out as that second word right there in that verse that for some of us has been a cuss word. Devotion starts out as discipline. Devotion begins as discipline. So do you want to be devoted to learning God's word so that you can wield it against an enemy? First of all, that's your only hope. You can either be devoted to this or lose. There is no middle ground. Be devoted or lose. Be devoted and see your family. Lose. Be devoted and be completely a waste of every year you spend at that job. Be devoted or lose. But devotion starts out as discipline. And I know, guys, I know. Like, think about from working out, exercise, anything. No discipline starts out as just pleasurable. It starts out painful. But he says, later on, you will produce a harvest of righteousness. So I want to walk you through the progression of how you get from a place of discipline to this place of amazing devotion. See, the more you practice the discipline in the moment, the more you pick up the sword, you learn how to wield it, the more you get it in your mind, the more you seek to understand the logos and allow it to cut away the hard parts of you, parts of you that you've been believing for so long, uh, parts of you that were just because of the home you were raised in. That's just something that, that you just thought and you just had a bad, messed up worldview. The way we allow God's word to discipline us is we get in it enough that it actually becomes something we desire. You've seen this happen. Like for those of us who maybe we work out and we do that continually, you do it enough And then you miss a week, and you find yourself doing this crazy thing. You're going, dang, I actually miss it. It's the same thing that happens with with young recruits. They go into the military, and they start out as an 18-year-old slob. They go through basic training. They get taught how to do all these things, how to tie their laces on their boots the right way, how to make their beds the right way. And this kid who started out as an 18-year-old slob goes through his years in the military, 
And every morning he wakes up and he makes his bed perfectly. He tucks the things under. And he does that. And it's a discipline. And then he gets out of the military. You know what's wild? Is he doesn't go back home and just, you know, wake up in the morning and just flip them off. How many of you either grew up in a home or are married to somebody who's in the military? What do they still do when they wake up in the morning? They still make their bed. Because this discipline actually became something that they desired. And now they are devoted to it. My granddad's 85 years old. It is, it is physically hard for him to make his bed in the morning. And he still wakes up and makes his bed. And I believe that's because of the discipline that he learned as a 20-something in the Navy. Going to fight in our world wars. And so we can, we can say, God, why is it so hard to be devoted to you? God, why is it so hard to, to get your word hidden in my heart? It's supposed to be that way, friends. But you're going to wake up somewhere through this process and you're going to come to this place where you actually find that you desire it. That you have created now this appetite inside of you for God's word that you hunger and thirst for it. And you are like, you could taste whether or not it came from somebody else. You, you, you don't want to have, you, you're like, hey, I, I'm, I'm glad that Trent, you're giving this out. But I'm not going to live off of this. God's word is here. It's, I got a fountain. It's flowing through me. And so if we want this to happen, I believe we've got to pick a time, we've got to pick a place, and we have to pick a pace to get into God's Word. The same way you schedule out something that's important to you. Like if you're, if you're at work and your boss says, hey, I want to meet with you, pick a time and schedule it. You put it on your calendar. You don't miss it for the world. It's the same way with God. You say, God, I want to be in your Word. I'm going, to, I'm going to pick a time. I'm going to put it in my calendar. I'm going to set a reminder in my phone. I'm going to do something to be there with you. And then I'm going to pick a place. Whether that's in the car on the ride to work, whether that's, you know, this, this chair at the house, whether it's, you know, before I go to bed, I'm going to pick a place. And then I'm going to pick my pace, which means I'm going to have realistic expectations. For those of you in the room, and I, I've, some people get weirded out when I say this. If you're not reading the Bible any, it may not be the best idea to say, I'm going to read the, word, I'm going to read the Bible four times a day every single day. Just start reading it on Thursday. If you can read the Bible on Thursday for three weeks in a row, graduate to three days a week. If you do that, graduate. Because I believe, I believe God's Word is just powerful enough to pull you in, and to make you long for it more. One of my favorite passages of Scripture uh, was written by David in the Psalms. He said this in Psalm 119.11. I think this is critical if we're going to stand aground and not fight against, and not commit the sins that we have been or struggle against the things that we have been. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Which reason would say that if I am perpetually sinning against God is because I may have not hid enough of his word in my heart. It's not hidden in there. Now again, if we have the logos, and this is in here, this gives us what we pull from to fight with the sword of the Spirit that is the Rima. But I, my fear is that so many of us have empty sheaths as hearts. There's no sword in there. We, we, like At best, we saw some Bible verses on, on Facebook and we can't even remember what they are. Like We've got to be people who get in God's Word. Now, again, I'm going to give you some passes. I'm gonna be, we are a grace church. You don't have to memorize every single word of every single passage. You don't even got to remember where it's at. You just have to go enough to know how to fight against it. So when everything in me wants to fight and go uh, make vengeance 
and get revenge on some of the big wrongs that have been done to me and my family, when I seek to go and, and make things right on my own, to get payback that is due because nobody else is doing it, the court system isn't doing it, when I want to go on my own and I want to make things even, I remember Romans 16.20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The peace of the Lord Jesus be with you. That's why it's around my wrist. Because I know how the enemy gets up close and personal with me. So I've got to be up close and personal with him. And my hope is you begin to hide God's word more and more in your heart that you will understand this truth about the Bible. Is that the Bible will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. They're, they're, it's either doing one of the two. So if you're not in God's word, it's not just because you had a rough week. Let's, let's be real, let's be honest. It's not just because things got busy. Call it what it is. Define the reality. It was sin. And sin kept me from this. Because it's pride to think that, oh, man, I can crush it this week. Because I went to church on Sunday. I'm good for Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday. I'm good. No, you're not. You need it. And if you're in it, it will keep you from sin. It will make you victorious. And my hope and my prayer is that we stand, we learn how to fight, and we become the battle-ready, battle-tested believers that God is calling us to be. As we get ready to, to wrap today up and enter into a time of communion, I want you to know that that swords aren't just meant to wound, but swords are meant to kill. And our Savior Jesus did that when he went to the cross and he rose from the grave. And when we celebrate communion, we celebrate the fact, and maybe this is a little too gruesome, this is a little too masculine, a little too tough, a little brave heart for you, but we don't just celebrate the fact that our enemy was defeated. We celebrate the fact that Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, murdered death, the thing that would separate you from God, sin's ultimate blow. It's gone. And we open up that cracker, we open up that juice, and it becomes a part of us. It reminds us the Holy Spirit, your, your, your word is living and active and cut away as you feel this not very tasty juice become a part of your internal being. It's knowing that I'm being transformed from the inside out. Jesus, allow your word as we meet here, as we talk here, allow your word to cut away this old, jacked up, messed up mind and soul so that everything that remains is this renewed and reborn spirit that you have placed inside of me now. Let's pray. I invite you to meet with God. Jesus, we thank you for your word. May it be true in these moments as that has been true for thousands and thousands of years. May it be true to the people who are hearing it for the first time. Father, I pray that today your people would take up a sword, would take up a weapon, would refuse to be pacifists in this spiritual war that we were in. That we would fight against everything in us that wants to make peace with the sin that has so easily entangled us that we, God, as people who long for peace would be willing to make war. Not against other people, not against political parties, not against other races, not against 
other countries, nationalities, not even against other religions, God, but we would be people who are making war against everything in us that wants to make peace with the sin that's around us. We love you, God. Jesus, we thank you for giving your life, for declaring the victory over us. And we will stand in that victory today and forevermore. In your name, amen.